You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Leading Innovation at Work. I'm your host, Lori Rowlandson. And in today's episode, I'm actually going to be speaking to you around how to create wow at work. So really exciting to be part of this episode and participating in this event. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, So in this particular recording, we're going to talk about how to create wow at work. And I know that sounds a little bit different from PropTech and CreeTech, but I want to remind us all that the reason that we invest in technologies in many instances is to enable an employee experience. And so as we talk so much about technology and disruption and innovation, I don't want us to forget the human. I work for a company called BGIS. We are a small global facilities management company, just under 8,000 employees globally, and we manage roughly around 380 million square feet in North America and uh, Australia and New Zealand mostly, and specialize in a, a wide variety of services all related to integrated facilities management. But at our core, we are an engineering firm. We are technically led, not brokerage led like some of the other companies out there, and we are Uh, very much have an engineering mindset. So my role as Senior Vice President of Strategy and Innovation is to help incubate and cultivate new offerings for our clients. I do a lot of speaking engagements in our industry, and I'm like an in-house consultant for our clients. So applied knowledge uh, to be able to forward progress. I, I really think I have the best job in the world, but I guess I'm not objective. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about the employee experience. It's so interesting to see how our profession has changed in such a short period of time. We're becoming much more employee-centric instead of real estate-centric. And a lot of that is being driven by the war for talent. Companies are competing for the best minds and they want to attract and retain them. And they're waking up to the fact that employees are the number one expense. And so turnover and churn and lack of productivity cost companies significant amounts of money. I've got lots of statistics to, to support that. And so companies, the best practice companies out there are just adopting one simple philosophy. They're hiring the best talent and they're enabling their productivity and eliminating all barriers. And, and real estate and premises are a big part of that. Technology is a big part of that. And HR is a big part of that, which all converge together in delivering a great experience. So why is this happening? There's a couple of reasons. Number one is there is a already underway, a significant drop in the amount of available and experienced workforce. There's lots of statistics to be able to prove this. It just so happens that generationally, there just weren't enough people born in different generations. So Um, the regular workforce we would normally pull from, there's just fewer people. And of course, proportionately, we we always want the top talent, but statistically, there's fewer of them available. And this is becoming a global trend. Uh, This is not just uh, one country specific. This is becoming a global epidemic, a global concern. So you can see on the left, any of those countries that have a yellow or above 
are of concern. Like this is one of the top things in their agenda is identifying top talent and attracting them. In fact, the only ones that I see are, that are green are France and Belgium. And it's possibly because they have uh, such good chocolate and cheese. Maybe they're chronically happy or they're not too worried about attracting people. But all of the other geographies, you can see that it is a strong concern. And one of the things we're starting to see over to the right, just in surveying top executives, what are the, some of the things that they're worried about? They are um, very concerned with all dimensions of attracting and retaining the workforce. So some interesting statistics, 63% of CEOs are concerned about the availability of skills. There just isn't enough of them. So that's problem number one. There's a war for talent. There just isn't enough people. And number two, compounds that problem with employee engagement. And there's lots of statistics around this as well that says, unfortunately, my, one of my favorite publications is HBR. And uh, they have, in they dedicated an entire epi uh, magazine episode to employee experience and employee engagement. And this is um, an infographic from that particular uh, magazine. And in their statistics and their research, they've identified that only 16% of employees at any average workforce are engaged, fully engaged. And that leaves the other 84% just coming to work. So they're in the um, you know, disengaged zone or they're actively out there looking for something else. So it's a tremendous amount of um, leakage of productivity. If 84%, a significant majority of your workforce are not coming to work every day and just bringing it. So, 87% of the global workforce is either not engaged or actively disengaged. This is a big problem. 85% of the global workforce is actively or passively looking for a new employer. So one of the things I've noticed over the last 25 years in business is that companies continue to be focused on how to manage costs. That is always in the top three of focus areas of CEOs and executives and business unit managers, senior vice presidents. How do we manage costs? How do we deliver value? So if employees are the number one expense of every company, it doesn't matter what industry you are in, employees are the number one expense. And typically technology or real estate is number two or three, depending on the core business of the company. But by far, salaries and employees are always number one. And so imagine if your number one expense was really only firing on 14% of the cylinders, according to HBR. It's, it's a big problem. So this is one of the reasons why organizations have started to become so focused on employee experience. So for those of you who have not had a lot of exposure to employee experience, it's essentially mapping out and managing what employees encounter, observe, or feel over the course of their day or their journey, really end-to-end -end journey at an organization, everything from onboarding until their last day at work. And it's, you do this journey mapping, not to <laughs> spy on your employees, but it's really to hack and understand um, what are their barriers to progress. So if you hire the best minds and they're standing in front of a photocopier cursing because there's no toner and they can't find anybody to print and they're late for a meeting, that is almost an hour of some of your best talents time that's wasted, number one. And number two, they're very uh, disrupted. They're, they're angry. They're feeling quite upset. So how do you really understand uh, what is the journey of that employee and how do you make their day more positive and more efficient? 
So it's everything from, and when I talk about journey mapping, it's literally follow the path of that employee is what do they encounter during the day? Do, what, do they have lineups? Do they have a hard time finding a parking spot? Do they struggle with the photocopier? What if they forget a, a power cord to their laptop? Um, can they get one easily? What if they're having technology or computer problems? How do we understand and solve those downtime moments as quickly as possible? It's one of the reasons why companies have provided food stations so close or a lot of amenities on site, uh, great coffee or baristas, just so that employees don't have to go off site. They can get what they need, have a great experience, and then go back to work. So the goal of these programs is to really hire the best talent and make them productive. It really isn't anything more compli complicated than that. Happy employees equal productive employees. There's a number of different dimensions to employee experience. Um, and I'll just talk about it from this, the center of the employee. So looking from the employee out, they really want, they want to change the world. They want to make a difference. They're ambitious. They want to be successful. So they view anything that is an obstacle to that as an annoyance or it's um, disengaging to them. It's, it's disenfranchising to them. So how do we make the best talent productive? We identify and eliminate the distractions and barriers to productivity. We make them feel valued and appreciated and we celebrate earned successes and accomplishments. That's a big part of it. Uh, they want to be challenged to learn and push themselves to be better. They want an incredible learning environment. And this is gonna be something that's even more important as we have to reskill with so much change coming in the future. They want, they're thirsty, they want to learn and grow. Many employees want that cool factor and you know the companies I'm talking about, that's the destination for talent. It's so cool, I wanna work there. So they have great amenities, a great culture in their environment. So it makes the best talent choose to work there. And talent, great talent wants to be enabled to do a great job. They want to make a difference. They want to be successful. And as an extension of that, beyond themselves, they also want to know that they're working for an organization that has a greater inspired purpose. So I know by working here at this company, I'm changing the world. I'm making a difference, a bigger difference beyond myself. And that's really important. Depending on which generation of workforce you're talking about, it's even more important. So companies that can really master this employee experience make them a destination for the industry's best talent. And it's one of the reasons why you're hearing more about chief executive officers, which um, when you look at all of the different ingredients of journey mapping, it's everything from facilities to HR, to some of the vendors that come on site, to IT support. It's a hybrid of a whole bunch of things. So you're hearing about new roles that are, are cropping up around employee experience or chief employee experience officer or chief experience officer right, right from the top. So you have the right executive support. And we're hearing about roles within the workforce as well to enable the workforce, workplace concierges, workplace valets, ambassadors, whatever you want to call them. Their role is in the workplace is to understand and solve and be available to eliminate those barriers in a number of ways, including technology, but uh, also through themselves and their own observations. So companies that have not started to look at employee experience, I'm sad to say, are going to be left behind. And I give them about five years because there is such a war for the best talent and people are any company's greatest asset. So, and 
um, what will happen is if you haven't started to think about it, what will happen is you'll see symptoms and you'll blame the symptoms and you won't really think about the cause. You'll see all kinds of symptoms popping up. Things like, geez, why are our competitors moving faster? Or why can't we get good applicants to our company anymore? Um, and then you'll blame HR. Why is HR so incompetent? They're not able to find good people. Uh, why do we have such high turnover? It must be such and such a department's fault. Um, why? And, you know, from a manager's perspective, you'll, you'll think, why do I have to spend so much time overseeing and micromanaging my team to get anything done? That You know, I've got a really mediocre bench of people. I can't, why can't we get, why don't these people care about what they're doing? Why can't we get more uh, productivity out of them? Why aren't we moving faster? And you'll blame all of these uh, symptoms, but they're not really the cause, which is employee experience. So these programs upstream will deal with a lot of these things downstream that you'll see, the symptom and the cause. Let's talk about <laughs> employee experience in real estate. So how did this all of a sudden become a real estate issue? And what does this got to have to do with technology? Well, there's three areas that it clearly impacts real estate around experience. And if you ever want to have a fun exercise sometime, go around a space like this one and pretend it's a person and write down words on a yellow pad and personify them. So what does this space say to you? Does it say, hey, top talent, we're a really innovative company. Come and work for us and change the world. So your space actually tells a lot about your brand and how you really work and how you attract that talent. It's, it, is, it, it does affect their experience and their impression. Whereas if you see a company like this and they say, hey, top talent, we're an innovative company, come and work for us and change the world, which company would you believe just by looking at their premises? So are you really walking the talk with your physical amenities and are you giving employees choices of where to work? I'm fairly extroverted, so I tend when I have to get something done, I tend not to go to the office because I like to socialize and interact with people. I also can't work from home because I have a Jack Russell Terrier and that makes it very challenging. So when I work, I like to go to Starbucks and I need the technology to enable that. Or I need a corner of the office that I can go and do heads down time without being interrupted. So it's about choices. So the workplace is around providing your employees with choices. The second one around the workplace is around technology, enabling technologies, whether that be in meeting rooms, collaboration, enabling people to work from anywhere. And there's lots of statistics that talk about how employers are planning to continue to invest in technology, collaborative technology to benefit from distributed workforce um, productivity and better collaboration and a number of different um, technologies to enable that. It also allows you to work where you're productive if you have the right technologies. The third one, it sounds like a little out there, but just bear with me. We all have a responsibility as real estate professionals, especially in facilities management, for creating those magical moments for our occupant communities. And, uh, you know, we, it doesn't cost anything to touch the lives of somebody or care or go out of your way to do them a favor or notice that they're standing in front of the photocopier with steam coming out of their ears. And as Maya Angelou says, it's not necessarily what you do, it's how you make people feel. You can buy somebody something or you can do something for them. And what will mean more is how you made them feel, what you said to appreciate them in the moment, how you helped them in that moment when they were so frustrated. And that doesn't cost anything. 
I'll give you another example. We're crossing over a lot in facilities management into the Disney training. So on the left, you see an, a great amusement park, and on the right, you see Disney. You know, other amusement parks, they have great rides, they have great junk food, you know, they're kind of fun, they got a great atmosphere, but Disney actually makes you feel magical. And what's the difference? The difference is that every single employee, from the, the person that drives the bus and the, or the train to the person that takes your tickets outside or that sells you popcorn, every single, to the princesses, everybody has the same cast member training. And they're trained to give you and look for uh, how to create those magical moments. And I want you to start thinking of this metaphor within real estate and how we really touch the lives and make those magic moments for the occupants of our buildings. So a lot of the hospitality industry is crossing over into our industry. To take a non-amusement park example, think about the best five-star hotel you ever stayed in versus a two or three-star hotel. It's probably a lot to do with the training of the people there, as well as the amenities and the facility, but a lot of it has to do, you've also gone to those, you know, maybe three-star places and the people are lovely and you just loved it there. And it wasn't because the swimming pool was bigger or, you know, the, the, um, the, the bar area was fancier. It's because you had a moment that really, you know, meant something to you, that it's created a memory. And so when I talk about Maya Angelou, I talk about how we animate the program of our facilities and our spaces to be able to support employees. So we do have a role in facilities management and real estate in touching the lives of our employees. It's not just up to HR. It's not just up to IT. It has to do with any party that comes into contact with the employee over the course of their day from how they actually park to how quickly they can get a coffee, um, how well the meeting room is working, how convenient things are, if things are on time, etc. So how do we get more employees like this guy? This guy looks pretty happy. And what's our role in real estate to do that? I'm going to give you six best practices for designing a technology-enabled employee experience. So number one is, I'm doing a lot, and this is just a short version of this, on how to measure employee experience. I've been spending a lot of time measuring culture and figuring out how to motivate and incentivize the right culture and employee experience, all sounding like ethereal topics. But, you know, when you peel it all back, there are a lot of data sets that you can already get in your premises. But I do encourage you to have a combination of active and passive feedback wherever you get it. And the difference is active feedback is somebody actually has to do something to give you the feedback. So they have to call a call center. They have to actually tell you something. You have to complete a survey, something like that. Versus passive feedback is really more observations, just observing people's uh, movement through the building, what they're using, what they're not. And again, not to be a stalker about it. It's just to really understand what people are preferring in general and what they're not preferring. An example is around amenities. We used to have a much uh, stricter dress code at work, and now we've gone to something a little bit more casual. So the use of dry cleaners has really declined. And that used to be a great on-site benefit to have a dry cleaner drop-off area at work. And it's just becoming less relevant because of dress codes. So if you looked at how a, a dry cleaner on-premise might have been used 10, 15 years ago versus today, it would, I'm going to guess it's probably significantly dropped. And that, there's an example of observed behaviors.
Other examples of passive utilization are availability of space or how people are pe people preferring the collaborative area, the noisy area, the private areas, or are they preferring one type of meeting room or one type of furniture setting over another? So observing all of that. Are they coming into the office? Is the office the place that they prefer to work because it's the most productive place that they can find? Or are they um, preferring to work from other locations? What are their wait times, air quality, IT service turnaround? What are the use of HR programs, um, voluntary turnovers, uh, a short-term disability or sick days? Like all of these are collective data that people don't have to provide you with, they're just collected. And so if you assimilate this into a balanced scorecard of data from HR, IT, and premises, you can really start to get some really like blunt, low investment ways of monitoring what people, what their feedback is. Active feedback is interesting because people rarely pick up the phone to pay a comp, pay a compliment. They will pick up the phone to criticize something or complain, which is still a gift. It's still great feedback, but it tends to be disproportionately weighted towards escalations or incidences. And this is why I like to recommend a balance of active and passive to inform the employee experience. So examples of active feedback are complaints, obviously, to your call center or whatever uh, your contact center is. Surveys or voting, workplace satisfaction surveys, apps. The, a lot of workplaces have like uh, similar you know, five stars, tap, tap, swipe, kind of easy feedback interfaces with your apps. Um, and there's great external sources too, like Glassdoor, which is um, a way for employees, either current or past, to be able to evaluate the employers. It's interesting because we used to evaluate employees as part of the annual performance review, and now employees are evaluating their companies and they're scoring it in a very open way that companies can't control. And you're getting very honest feedback. A lot of companies, a lot of, I should say, employees are actually going to Glassdoor to decide whether, you know, that interview, was that guy telling me the truth? I kind of felt something funny in the interview. And then, of course, they read the employee reviews and either they say, no, this is a great company to work for or watch out for this. So very interesting. And then the last one is around service tickets, um, you know, hot, cold complaints, uh, it's dirty um, the elevators are down again, that sort of thing. So a combination of feedback is a good thing to look at. The second tip is around the democratization of productivity. And I really, one of the best practices I saw on this in, in this example was a, a company that decided how to spend their employee experience budget in one simple way. They would survey their employees, not just you know, a bunch of managers in an ivory tower or people guessing, they actually asked the employees. And one of the things he told me was he was always so surprised at what they would say. And there was always some real zingers on the list of things that he could have never guessed. But he said we had to trust them that these were the things that were the biggest barriers to their productivity and then just do what they asked. So I also asked him about budget. So what he did was he did the survey ranked them according to popularity, assigned a budget associated with each one of the entries, and then drew a line at, you know, based on where his budget ran out, basically. So if he got 28 suggestions and he only had enough money in the budget for 11, he would saw the line off. They weren't able to do number 12 and beyond that year. 
but then he would communicate it back out to the employees. Thanks for your feedback. We're going to do what you're, you're asking. Um, in some instances, they couldn't. They wanted a doggy daycare on site and it wasn't um, allowed in the lease. So what they did was they negotiated with a place across the street to start a doggy daycare. So, you know, it, it just informs how you can actually um, create amenities for employees that they really want instead of guessing. Um, and, and just trust your employees that they're going to tell you what is the biggest barrier? You have to just believe them and do what they suggest. That's a big leap for a lot of companies, but it's the one thing. It also shows engagement and a whole bunch of other things. Um, you know, crowdsourcing their inputs, making them feel heard and have a voice. And you're also being transparent about what you can and can't do. And then next year, repeat the same cycle. This goes into the characteristic of hiring the best people, listening to what they need and enabling their success. Another way I've seen this done uh, besides surveying twice a year is creating an employee um, workplace satisfaction channel on a team site or Slack or Yammer or something like that where you get the dialogue. And it is, it is a, um, an iterative dialogue. It's open to everyone and you get interesting suggestions. So that's another way of doing it. So it's not just once and done at the survey time. It's also a way of continuously communicating and updating your constituents as well if you have certain channels around productivity. And you can keep the conversation going, which is also kind of cool, other than the one-time survey. The survey tends to be a bit more controlled and structured. The um, team channel is a little bit more organic and iterative. Both of them have pros and cons, but it's whatever works for your company and your culture. Uh, this process also helps blow away some of the management paradigms and really shows that you're listening to employees and des designing solutions around them. And as I mentioned, it's a closed loop process and communication. So you really, I think in ESAT surveys, employee satisfaction surveys, we don't necessarily, I think as an industry, do enough to close the loop. And often it changes by the time the year is up. So I really like this process because it provides for continuous communication and engagement of employees on what matters to them. The third area is around utilization. And you've heard this from some of the other speakers is if you're going to do one thing around technology, utilization is a really good one. And in this example, I'm talking about employee experience, but utilization also is an incredible way to identify if you're using your real estate assets efficiently and holding, you know, the CFO loves this information because it shows uh, and weighs the cost of vacancy versus, um, you know, catalyst to decisions. And it also shows, you know, about carbon. So the best carbon you, you, oh, I'm going to mess this up. The best carbon you don't expend, oh, no, no. Um, anyway, if you're using your real estate assets efficiently, then you're not overexpending carbon as well as costs. I'll say it like that. <laughs> but, you know, if you, if you don't have excess space, you're not going through all of that heating and cooling and all of the additional uh, impact that buildings create on the environment. And they are a substantial contributor to carbon and, and environmental impact as well as cost as well as people's preferences. So many, many layers of benefit. There's all kinds of sensors and, and uh, utilization sensors, depending on your company and culture. Um, I've worked with uh, unionized environments that are not comfortable with certain types of sensors. You also have to do some change management to explain what the purpose of the sensors are for. It's not to say, you know, hey, 
Barb, why weren't you at your desk at five after three today? You know, that's not the purpose of it. It's really to understand people's preferences, how you're utilizing, making sure we're right sizing uh, based on actual needs. So there's, you can use uh, sensors just in and out counters on a specific floor plate or a building. You can use sensors to detect presence in meeting rooms and you can use sensors to detect presence at an actual work point or a desk. And I've seen organizations that also you uh, can track it through uh, where your computer in a building signs on to a wireless IP address. So you know, okay, you're in the Northwest corner on the 17th floor because that's where you're connecting to the internet and also wayfinding with your actual cell phone. Uh, so just help you find your friend or find your way around the floor just to do wayfinding and guiding. Um, some of them have varying degrees of success, but there's all kinds of levels of utilization that you can use. And here's an example of um, one way you can actually track utilization. Again, you can't see any individuals or people, but you can see people are using certain types of areas more than others over the course of the day. And there's, there's, this is just one example. There's lots of ways to track and, and measure utilization. But I, when, one of the benefits is that you can reprogram the floor so that, and so as we move to more towards agile working, being able to flex and evolve the space so that it uh, accommodates a variety of work settings and changing work settings is very valuable. And the last thing I'm going to say around utilization is don't forget to tie the upgrades of utilization sensors into the capital planning process. And there's a wide spectrum. You can tr track utilization with a clipboard and just walk around. Of course, that's a bit debatable. If you have workplace ambassadors, that you can get their feedback on, on a daily basis. Yeah, the floor was busy today, or this floor was empty, or there was nobody here. Uh, you can also track by security pass data, which depending on if you have a turnstile approach, the integrity of the numbers is pretty good. But if um, you can tailgate, it can you know, people can walk in as a group with, with your friend, then there's a risk that there could be some data erosion, you know, 35% I've seen. You can have counter sensors, weight work point sensors, IP logons, etc. You can get all the way up to, I mean, microchipping of employees and, and uh, artificial intelligence and, and visual recognition and security cameras. So obviously, depending on the culture of your company, depending on the investment appetite for your company and how accurate you need the data, you can invest in a wide spectrum of utilization. But, you know, maybe if you've got a turnstile at your building, maybe security pass data is good enough. But as you touch the building, you know, they have, um, we do a lot of work with Signify. They have, you know, ways of tracking and counting people in, in different rooms and areas. As you're upgrading the building, don't just replace it with old specs or standards. Every time you touch a building is a chance to upgrade it and make it smarter. So if you're going to look at utilization uh, and have another look at the capital planning process, and it might actually create a more buoyant business case for you rather than just looking at traditional energy and efficiency, it might just add some additional buoyancy onto the business case. Number four is environment. So this is related to all factors related to the physical environment, which affect employee experience and productivity. And I feel very strongly that the facilities management function is really key to not only support and create those memorable moments, but to identify and eliminate the top issues in a continuous closed loop process. 
I think that um, people are often the best sensors. So if you can get the facilities managers to weigh in and observe as part of their daily routine, um, it can be very impactful and, and, and also more proactive instead of reactive. So looking for things like meeting room behaviors. So are all the meeting rooms booked, but there's nobody in them, for example. Are we getting a lot of complaints in the call center about availability of the audiovisual, the audiovisual equipment in this room is broken, none of the whiteboard markers work, etc. So are we not distracting employees in those meeting rooms with broken equipment or broken chairs? Photocopier availability. I know I mentioned that a few times, but that's a real uh, productivity barrier for a lot of people. Uh, food services ratings. Uh, you know, if people love the food on site, they'll be less tempted to go off site. And um, they'll feel happier, they'll feel cared and that you're investing in a great food services provider that cares about the wellness of your employees. And there's lots of statistics on percentage of seats with access to natural light. The number one thing that employees want in their workplace is access to natural light. Things like washroom cleanliness, too hot, too cold, and even air quality, the carbon dioxide can make you feel tired or sleepy makes you want to have sugar. So the, the facilities management function is really key to impacting or benefiting the employee experience. The last thing I'll say around employee experience in uh, the environment of facilities management is facilities managers are really key to be able to manage, measure, and adjust the environment and observe it. So one of, the, one of my pet peeves in our industry is I think Sometimes we design things or we do a, a seminar and change management and then, okay, done, right? But then you get, you know, people forget or they weren't able to attend the training or you have new employees that come on or people go back to their old habits. So to continuously reinforce, measure, manage, and also nothing stays the same, right? To be able to flex and evolve and keep up uh, in an agile way, facilities managers can be a really key part of that. So when you implement your employee experience program, you need a way to observe and continuously improve. And facilities managers are a key part of that observation network that you can really structure and formalize. I know in our organization, because we're, we're, uh, we've got such engineering in our DNA, we love to measure everything. And you know that expression, what gets measured gets managed, but what gets measured gets valued. And so to be able to have a way to continuously improve with data-driven decisions and insights will really take the validity of the program up to a completely different level. The next one is around gamification. And this is a real interesting personality test when I talk to clients about gamifications. They, they think, um, you know, sometimes they think it's a bit frivolous, but just bear with me. I came across gamification when I was looking at change management a couple of years ago and how to incentivize culture, how do you encourage, instead of telling people their culture in a more oppressive way, how do you incentivize the right culture and have fun? So I came across gamification and, uh, you know, how do you measure culture? When do you finish? Like all of these questions were swimming around in my head. And I was really interested in the mechanics of gamification. And, you know, how do you inspire change versus dictate change? And I'm, I'm a Generation X, and I grew up listening to The Clash, and I guess I'm not very good at being told what to do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think most humans are like that, is we like to be inspired versus told what to do. And one feels more oppressive, the other feels inspired. So how do you do that? If you really look at, if you peel back all of the mechanics of gamification, 
it's really around motivating participation, engaging people, teaching them something, rewarding them for loyalty, and celebrating success. And they do it in a very simplistic way, but why can't we take those characteristics into the workplace? And I'm not talking about playing Call of Duty at your desk or Candy Crush. That's not what I'm talking about. Taking work functions and overlaying them with the principles of gamification. So if you peel it all back, there's a level of engagement, there's reward, there's achievement, you're motivated to get to the next level. There's often a learning component, there's a challenge, and then there's celebration of success. One thing that's very interesting between all generations is they are all competitive. So if you're able to find an approach that everybody can participate in, um, and often it is generational. Sometimes I've seen, as we've implemented this in, with various clients, it often starts with a certain generation of workforce, and then it uh, propagates outward. But whatever it takes, it's still a great way to incentivize and encourage the right behaviors. And that's what you design all of the, um, the incentive programs around. So you identify what are the values and behaviors we want our employees to emulate, make it fun to participate, friendly competition. And then you reward and recognize the achievements and then repeat. So you reward people for the right behaviors instead of chastising them when they're not emulating the right behaviors. And there's, for those of you who think, still think this is a little out there, there's lots of really big names um, that are in big companies that are actually adopting this in various areas of their business. And I'll give you a reading list at the end. But even if you just do a Fitbit program at work, you've heard of that or take the stairs. There's a number of programs that are growing up to be able to facilitate this, and there's some low-tech ways of doing it as well. I'm, I, at our company, we've used um, an app called GoSpaces that allowed us to map uh, all of the challenges and behaviors we wanted at work, aligned with people, pro, uh, people, planet, profit. So people meaning what are the behaviors and wellness behaviors, so rewarding people for walking meetings, for examples, or volunteering, or drinking water, or bringing their lunch. Planet or things like paperless, uh, encouraging people to go paperless or bringing their own water bottle or going meatless or hosting a virtual meeting. Again, tying to the uh, focus of collaboration. And then profit, just, you know, instead of traveling to a meeting, can you do a virtual meeting? And what's the benefit of that? And the app automatically calculates the impact of each decision and categorizes it under people, pr uh, planet, profit. And then once each individual, there's a leaderboard there, and we um, celebrate and recognize those people on the leaderboard each month. But for each person that attains a certain level of carbon offsets, a tree is purchased in their honor as well. So anyway, you get an idea of how you could gamify it, whether it be you know Fitbit challenges, you can even just do it on a low-tech scoreboard, but gamifying cr creates um, a lot of fun, a great atmosphere, but it gets everyone to rally around the right behaviors that you want to emulate. And the sixth one is the facilities ambassadors. And I, I've implied it in a few of the other areas, but it's really turning facilities managers into cast members and being part of that experience. So one of the things I'm doing now is doing training for any of the vendors that come on site or anybody that could possibly interact with an employee as part of their day-to-day -day journey and giving them training on how to create those moments. Like, how do you find and create those memorable customer moments, just like they do at Disney, but manifesting it in an appropriate way within the work environment, right? So 
hospitality infused corporate real estate concierge or workplace ambassadors, whatever you want to call it, they are there not only to solve problems and make you more productive, but to really create a great moment and convenience. These people in their roles, and I've seen it different in each company, but they can be trained for a wide variety of things. They can teach you, they can onboard and train new employees, they can troubleshoot, they maybe do level one IT support or photocopier support, whatever you need. They also do animation of the space, so they might do special speaking events, or maybe they're in charge of the gamification activities. But at the end of the day, they do a huddle and talk about how could we be better? What could we do differently to really make uh, the lives of our community members better? What did you notice today? Again, people are the best sensors. So if this group, the circle of community managers, I noticed that people are often complaining about this room. Nobody's been calling the call center, but they always complain that this room is too hot before 11 o'clock as the sun's directly in there and nobody wants to use the room. Maybe we should put window glazing on or whatever you're going to say. But how could we be better at a human level and as well as the data level? So how can we all be cast members as, you know, that Disney philosophy? So that's it for the top six. In summary, uh, our real estate is changing. We're really about the people. Think of the employees from a point of servitude, giving them high personalization of space and choice, inspiring them, uh, making them understand the mission and feeling that they're part of an inspired purpose creating a work environment that's fun and cool, so top talent says, I want to work there, uh, in integrating aspects of wellness and sustainability that says to employees, as an employer, I care about you. I care about your health and your wellness. I want you to leave work in better health than when you came here, and creating a great environment around that. Constantly hacking and understanding and improving employee productivity, listening to employee feedback, uh, leveraging data and a lot of the data you already have to inform decisions and managing the workplace as a continuous program, not a once and done. This is very important. And make sure you're leveraging the facilities management function. Otherwise, it's going to be disconnected from the ongoing service of what you need in that space. And you probably means there's some redundancy of cost there as well. So something to think about. For those of you who know me, know I'm a super nerdy reader. I have a book recommendation for everything. So here's a suggested reading list. If you want to go further down the rabbit hole on this topic or ping me on LinkedIn, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to pass any links over to you. That's it for today for this episode of Leading Innovation at Work. I'm Lori Rowlandson. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on how to create a technology-driven employee experience at work and workplace wow. And until next time, this is Lori Rowlandson signing off. Thanks so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast. Hey, if you have questions or comments about this episode, reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at lorirowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N dot com. Thank you for listening.